Blog Talk Radio. Tahuti Wesley Gray, speaking to you live from New York City, and I'm thanking you most of all, definitely, for tuning in this evening, the 28th of July, 2013. Once again, it's a pleasure to have you joining us, and I look forward to uh, reviewing the book titled The Healing Drum by Yaya Diallo and Brother Mitchell Hall. As always, before I begin, we must give praise and thanks to the, the one most high who makes it possible for all of us to be here, to be alive, to be breathing the air that sustains us. And indeed, we give thanks to our ancestors. We give thanks to our um, parents. We give thanks to my, my wife, my siblings. And uh, yesterday, my wife and I, we celebrated the life of our dear sister, Donis Crenshaw Seasbay. Uh, she passed away last week on the 19th of July, and we really enjoyed celebrating her life yesterday. And we sense her presence with us this evening as uh, we start the first day of her uh, on her journey back home. Indeed, the ancestors are welcoming her with open arms. And as I celebrate the healing drum, the book written by Yaya and Brother Mitchell, indeed I am emboldened and strengthened by the understanding of our ancient African traditions as it pertains to our community, to our family, and to our ancestors. So I would like to continue... uh, this evening's subject will be touching upon uh, the essence of what Yaya describes as killing the ego, killing the ego and also dealing with the aspect of uh, drumming as it pertains to manifesting the energy of uh, music, work, and dance and how it was incorporated in our communities uh, of Africa. Yaya goes on to state that in our musical apprenticeship that he and others in his um, community of drummers, they would often hear their this paradoxical principle in the craft of music 
that you should make your friends your enemies and your enemies your friends. And he states that this is intended to teach the value of criticism. He goes on to state that friends who only flatter a musician for his playing do not help him develop his art. They lack discernment. However, enemies, on the other hand, the critics of his playing would help him to stay humble and to work for improvement. A musical father will work on his this aspect of a student's uh, personality to help him become immune to forced pride and to remain open to honest criticism. And thusly, this way, an apprentice learns to evaluate criticism for any truth that it may contain. The many actor musicians also deemed worthy of learning new rhythms for high levels of musical initiation on the basis of their characters as, as much as their technical proficiency. That says a lot. Myself being a jazz drummer, um, mostly self-taught, coming from the bebop area, I remember that there were many times in which the musician was challenged as he as she played in a club and actually checked if they were recognized as one who really had not paid their dues, one who didn't have the chops were told to get off the stage, literally, they could not hang. And, of course, they had those amongst us during that period. And this is going back during the 40s and 50s into the 60s, where the bebop hard jazz uh, was noted, that um, people were, for the most part, very humble, they were humble because they were aware of the fact that it took a lot of training, a lot of practice to perform and to perfect their particular instrument, and also to perfect the music that was written back then by the masters. And however, today we have those who are self-taught, you have access to the internet where you can look at videos and so forth, and you don't have to sit at the seat of the masters. And you can acquire a certain amount of technical proficiency, but you don't get the chops that are needed to be uh, approved by those who know that, indeed, you have to pay the dues. You have to pay the piper, to so to speak, in order to be accepted into this particular, uh, uh, this particular group. So... Uh, it says a lot in terms of the African tradition uh, being carried on into uh, the current era, as it were. But we're talking about killing the ego, and that is that one has to master and has to become a sensitive person to the area of having confidence, that thin line, being able to discern where confidence is healthy, but on the other hand, to the extreme, you can develop a huge ego which can stifle your progress in terms of learning how to perform, in this case, how to play a drum proficiently or any other instrument for that matter. And this also can be used as a metaphor for how to traverse the journey of living, to traverse the journey of life whether one is going to school or working within a community, within your family. Most of all, if one starts a family, one becomes married, 
and starts having children, but just even without children, just having a mate, a wife or a husband, that one has to keep the ego in check if you expect to, to uh, maintain a happy marriage and to grow with one another. And speaking on that, I would just have to acknowledge right now, appropriately so, that my wife just stepped into the studio, and I must say hello, and how are you, honey? How's everything? Great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing better now that I have you in my midst. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Yes, yes. Uh, my wife is one who uh, has the capacity to keep ego in check. She's very humble. Uh, she, she's uh, learned how to uh, play proficiently, uh, proficiently, I may add, uh, about five instruments, as well as sing, and um, you would never know it because she doesn't hold this banner on her chest that she is an accomplished musician, as well as a teacher. She taught school uh, to uh, youngsters for the most part, and, and uh, part of her teaching, she's a qualified teacher of all the major uh, elementary subjects, um, from math to ge English ge geometry or geography, and and a host of other um, pertinent subjects that one needs to learn when you start schooling. But she's a, uh, a master music teacher. So I'm very grateful to have her as my wife, as a friend, and as a uh, co-musician. Um, the Minneapolis musicians were taken to uh, a level of of uh, schooling that I think is very unique and that sometimes one had to spend a whole year learning a specific rhythm as such. And uh, I know that indeed there are many people who uh, would find that to be astounding that just to learn a couple of notes that you would spend a whole year, such is true in the martial arts, just to learn a move, a movement, what you might call a kata, or just a basic rudiments of of uh, a defensive move, whether it be a kick, a roundhouse kick, or a block, as such, it might take you months to perfect that, and you would uh, go into that position, such as a horse stance. I know when I first started learning martial arts, I would spend weeks, uh, for the most part, just practicing the horse stance and proper breathing, and how to position my body, and I. I didn't find the value in that initially when I was being trained, but after months of training, I recognized the benefit of that, that it conditioned my whole body. And I recommend that one, uh, at whatever age you may be, that you practice, if not yoga, uh, any type of exercise that uh, conditions your body, especially in terms of, of being able to stretch your body and to do basic uh uh, muscle uh, building, uh, calisthenics, uh, whatever mode that you might want to embrace. But it's very important. Uh, along with myself, being a, um, a marathon runner, uh, some 35 years ago I was taught or shared the, the adage that the body keeps score. So what do we put into your body now in terms of exercise and even diet, of course, most of all diet, proper food, uh, mostly fruits and veggies, uh, learning how to breathe properly, and, of course, as I mentioned earlier, the exercising of the muscles and stretching 
All those things will be an investment for the future so that you will have a healthy body, mind, and spirit. So uh, I must take a short pause at this moment, and I'll be back momentarily. Okay, thank you for holding. As I was mentioning earlier, we were covering the subject of killing the ego as described by Brother, Brother Yaya. Uh, he goes on to state that the elders would uh, respond to any complaints that were, that were made uh, by the, uh, any complaining made by the students, that they would have to speak with them in a very firm matter, and uh, for me, they, are, they would say that you're like our children, that they enjoy the contact with them, but often they get mad at them, and they would send them uh, messages that they need to follow instructions, they need to honor the elders, especially those who are teaching them, and sometimes Westerners go to Africa to improve their drumming in this instance, and wanted to improve their drumming, their drumming skills, they are questioned about their motivation and about the, the time that they have available to learn how to drum properly. And they would say that the members of the community in Africa, when they would notice that the Americans, uh, Westerners, were in a hurry and motivated to be showmen, they are just given lessons in technique. And the Miniaka are aware that a technically skilled player can impress a lot of listeners without touching on what is deepest in music. Technique can look and sound impressive to outsiders, but lack what is essential within the culture. It has happened that a foreigner is told he will learn from the best teacher, and then in this case, best might merely imply that the teacher in question is the best available to impart a particular technique, not someone who would give of his heart or her heart or share his or her love of the instrument. He might even be someone who does not care much about morality or the higher potentials of music. And I can attest to that my living here in New York City and for the most part of my drumming experience that I have played, I'm not a uh, what you might call a highly technical drummer. I'm proficient enough to play the drums so that indeed I'm not told not to drum. I'm not told to stop drumming. I don't disrupt the circle. <laughs> However, in some instances, I'm looked upon as being a master drummer by those who do not know the rudiments of drumming, those who just appreciate rhythm that's consistent and that's inspiring. However, I'm also around, I've been around drummers who are very technically proficient. They can drum very fast, and they can make intricate rhythms and polyrhythms and so forth, and in different times, four, four, six, eight, and triplets, and 
or triplets or what have you. However, they lack the humility. They are full of ego. And it's, not only lacking the humility, but lacking the spiritual foundation, as it were, that allows them to connect with spirit on a universal plane, on a deep, meaningful plane. And thus, they are just very quick to look at another drummer and determine that that drummer is not qualified to play with them. And, of course, sometimes I've noticed, even with myself, I wasn't ever told to stop drumming or not to drum, but I would sense the energy of ego, and I would stop drumming and step out of the circle. And shortly thereafter, the drumming would stop because there will be a conflict of rhythms and things would just fall apart. And I'm not trying to imbue my ego into this particular um, uh, uh, anecdote that I'm sharing with you. It's just I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that I've heard years and years ago that if one is sincere in terms of one singing in a group, in a choir, in a church, if one is sincere in playing your, your instrument, and you know the basic notes and you're not trying to take first place, and in this case drumming, if you're sincere in your drumming, and you have the intent to be one who is assisting and adding something to the drum circle, and most of all, to connect with spirit, to please the ancestors, to please spirit, that indeed your drumming is proficient and sufficient. So that's something that I've learned, and since I read this book, it just confirmed my uh, assertion that technical knowledge is one thing, but having the intent of love from your heart and your drumming is another matter, and I think that's preferable. So the best miniacre musicians do not attract notice, Yaya goes on to say. He said, they may even have stopped playing, as I mentioned earlier. I didn't even know I was going to say this, or read this, rather. They may sit quietly and chat about the deeper aspects of music in front of a group. They may start the song and then let the others continue while they observe their playing and plan to keep the evil spirits in check. They have nothing more to prove in the way of producing sounds. Rapid, dexterous playing fascinates youth but represents only a stage through which a musician passes. For the traditional maniaca, a musical instrument is not an arm of percussion or persuasion or intimidation, not a means of showing off or of attracting members of the opposite sex. The player does not have to resemble anyone else, just himself. Playing the instrument should look easy. It is an art, and the maniaca appreciate a musician who has internalize his skills to the point that he can relax while playing. And these should be no strain, uh, there should be no strain on the body, no grimaces on his face, inner concentration, calm, and contentment are preferable. And aside from a deaf person, there was no one who, who sang worse than his music teacher, Nagapi. <laughs> This is a joke that uh, Yaya is sharing. He said that yet he taught the, the chants. He, he knew so much. He no longer had his singing, his singing voice, 
but he was impressive. He understood things. And when he trained me, Yaya states, we went each day to sit under a tree. From there, we could hear several people playing music in the village. I didn't know why we went there. I heard fragments of music from here and there. And then one day I said, oh, you would think that it is an orchestra playing. And this was a spot from which all the music around the village could be heard harmoniously. He took me there until I could hear this for myself. To conclude, from the widespread use of music in African culture, that all black people are good musicians, is an error to be avoided. Music is not in our blood. We need to put it there through practice and training. Our daily life from the earliest years gives us abundant opportunity to assimilate the rhythms, tones, and harmonies of our musical heritage. And there is the subject of the next chapter. And the next chapter is dealing with music, work, and dance. Uh, we only have 10 minutes left of our box, about 9 minutes left, but I'm going to just go over the succinct areas of this next chapter, and then next week we'll go into more detail. Yaya states that when the Minyaka work, they move rhythmically in a rhythmic manner. When they dance, their movements express activities of daily life. Most popular and traditional dances in Africa are directly related to work. Whether they repeat the movements of the physical labor or honor different occupations, when people dance in the evening, their movements follow the gestures of work that they have been doing during the day. A fisherman does not dance in the same way as a hunter, and often the work itself can be seen as a dance. When women wash clothes on the riverbank, they make music by slapping the clothes against the calabashes. The pound grain into daily cereal, flour women that stand around a large mortar carved of a portion of a tree trunk. And their pestles raise and fall like pistons. The cadence is accentuated by throwing pestles up in the air, clapping hands and, catch, and catching the pestles before they hit the, the hollow tree. If one of the women loses the beat, it will break the rhythms of the others. And in the blacksmith's workshop, the boy with the bellows sets the first rhythm with the steady in and out motion on his accordion-like instrument. And then the blacksmith hits the metal rhythmically on the anvil of a second rhythm that makes a musical harmony with the sound of the bellows. Once when the blacksmith's son was ill, Yaya states that he was called in to replace them and use the bellows. He worked hard but didn't, play, didn't pay attention to the rhythm. And my production was good. But the fire burned brightly. But the smith, the blacksmith, was accustomed to a different music. Consequently, he could not hit the metal or shape it as he wanted for the job because the beat was off. That brings me to this thing here as I live here in, in New York City. Those of you who have been here in New York, lived here or traveled to New York City, understand it is one of the cities, one of the metropolis cities that is noted for its noise, whether it be fire engines or police cars or uh, just even the regular traffic. If 
you live near a highway, if you live near a major artery or avenue or street, you have cars speeding by and you have children playing at a loud pitch. You have dogs barking. And one becomes challenged in terms of being able to maintain a harmonious uh, life environment and being able to relate to your inner being on a rhythmic uh, perspective. So what do we do? We buy records. We buy CDs in this instance during this era. We turn on the uh, radio. We turn on our iPad and whatever instrument that we are used to, and we start listen to, listening to music that keeps us comfortable. So there's a lot to say, though, in terms of our African heritage, that indeed living in a village that people working by a universal rhythmic pattern assist them in accomplishing their goals while they work, and it also allows them to maintain a relative healthy atmosphere where stress is minimal, where they're actually in constant communication with the one most high, in constant communication with our ancestors, in constant communication with each other on a level of reverence as opposed to ego, and a level of higher self-awareness as opposed to lower self-orientation, which involves sex, drugs, and alcohol, which is also a drug, but it, it says a lot in terms of those of us of African descent where we might want to consider directing our consciousness. And not just those of African descent, but people of all ethnicities to understand that indeed we need to reevaluate what we expose ourselves to musically and rhythmically, what we allow our children to be exposed to, because it's considered to be, what's the expression, hon, that um, it's foolish for one to expect different results by practicing the same thing. Oh, the definition of um, insanity. Yes, <laughs> yes. Doing the same thing the same way and expecting a different result. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so uh, there are some communities that when the mother is pregnant with the child, they make a very concerted effort to play certain music or to be around certain types of music because they know that even before the child is born that it's going to be affected by the, those sounds. You know, I think of, I can remember uh, an African family, I'm sorry, a Japanese family who gave birth to, to uh, two girls one year after the other, and they were considered to be geniuses. Uh, they played several instruments, most of all the violin and I think the flute. And they were asked, what was it that they did to their children or for their children that uh, assisted them in learning these instruments so to play so proficiently and to do so well in school? And they said that they would play certain music while the mother was pregnant and hold the speakers to her stomach. And they were playing classical music, uh, European classical music from Beethoven and Bach, there's a certain synchronicity, or synch I'm sorry, there's a certain rhythmic uh, uh, cadence that a lot of these musicians uh, perform. And indeed, I postulate that certain African rhythms can provide the same type of results. It's called jazz, and if you, call, if you will, can provide certain results similar to that. 
music by Coltrane, by Miles Davis, uh, by uh, Charlie Parker, by Baba Alatunji, Drums of Passion, if you will. They all have the capacity to influence the spirit even before that spirit manifests in a human body. So I'm happy again that you tuned in this evening. We are coming to the end of this particular segment of Grassroots Holistic Health. I will encourage those of you who are listening today and those who, who listen through the archives to, to um, access my website, which is titled Drums of Change. Again, I repeat, that's drumsofchange.com. And I will uh, also encourage you to um, email me at babawesleygray at gmail.com for any type of comments and any type of communication that you would like to share with me, it would be a pleasure. I ask you to tune in and spread the word that we will be, again, featured next week at 6.30 uh, next Sunday, continuing reviewing the book titled The Healing Drum by Yaya Diallo and Brother Mitchell Hall. I end as we begin by giving thanks to the One Most High. We ask that may our minds stay centered on the things of spirit and goodness and may we not be tempted to stray from love. And as we begin this week, we open to receive you. We ask, dear Lord, that you enter where you already abide. May our minds and hearts be pure and true, and may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks that we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you our doings. We ask only that they serve you in the healing of the world, and may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. Make us the person and the people that you would have us be, dear Lord. We direct our footsteps and show us what you would have us do and make the world a safe and more beautiful place. Bless all your creatures, heal us all, and use us, dear Lord, that we might know the joy of being used by you. Thank you. Namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, one love, peace and blessings.